NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook? Yep. It's got a high-res 120 hertz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard. And I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook. The great cricketer is a Twitter stream. It's about playing cricket at the grade level. It's a tough, mean, dirty, dirty business being a great cricketer. A lot of cricketers, you know, that's all they know. They've mm. done it since they're 10 and they have a deep-seated fear of change. But the great cricket is all about being the most alpha version of yourself as possible at all costs and at all times. I don't bat or bowl. I just feel a gully, count the number of dot balls in a row, sledge 15 yards, make me feel better about myself. Thanks, Thanks champ. champ. Oh, no, you called me champ. <laughs> And welcome to the Grey Cricketer Podcast on Fox Sports. My name is Ian Higgins. It has been a long, hard, cold, freezing, frosty winter. That's a lot of adjectives unnecessarily, but it is so good to be back in your ears and in your hearts, hopefully. I'm joined from London by Sam Perry, who joins us now. Sam, hi, welcome. Hello, he goes. Hello, everybody. I was tempted there, he goes, to have a like an enforced delay, like I'm some sort of correspondent <laughs> with bad technology. And uh, I suppose yeah. that is the first thing off the bat. If you do hear any uh, Skype chimes or just fractionally less sophisticated technology than you heard last year, then um, it's because, well, it's my fault. Uh, I'm in London. And, uh, mm. you know, hopefully, he goes, it stays with us. Hopefully, Turnbull's NBN helps us out. Uh, as we embark on this very, very long... So far it hasn't, let's just say that from the top. But uh, uh, yeah. we want to do, do a, uh, a long series of podcasts all throughout the Australian summer. And I will continue to say the Australian summer and defend my, uh, my London and UK compadres here. You know, other things exist, guys. Um, and talk about long, cold winters. It, that, I think that is coming up uh, for me. But um, let's just say from the top he goes as well, there is a conspicuous absence on the show. Dave is not uh, joining us today. And uh, just to explain that, uh, this will be a long-running series. And, um, you know, to be honest, being available all of the time is difficult for the three of us. So um, Dave will chime in when he can, and I'm sure it will be the same for us as well. Uh, So there will be combinations of us throughout the summer, and uh, we'll see how we go. I can literally hear half of our audience clicking off now because they say, nah, mm. no Dave, no fun, um, mm. which is actually no what, Dave, of no course party. my tattoos. No, pa- <laughs> no Dave, no party, uh, which is what my tattoo says clearly. Um, Pez, we've had a lot of questions uh, come in from Ask TGC, one of our most revered segments of the, of the show, which we'll get to a little bit later on. Hashtag Ask TGC. But a few questions have actually come in specifically asking us what we've been doing over the winter, which is... I think I don't know if it's nice or scary. Like I don't know if it's nice that people want the interpersonal uh, relationships between podcaster and listener, or they just they're stalking us. I don't know. 
Well, yeah, we, I mean, we barely ask each other what we've been up to, um, just like <laughs> just like normal men, I guess. So um, yeah. I, I think that's Don't actually talk. a nice point to, to say thanks to the people who have been interested in when the podcast is coming back as well so uh, hopefully we can give you something that you enjoy what have we been up to he goes well yeah i guess you kind of uh described most of what i've been up to i've been over here in london with my wife and my dog Florimo, uh who uh, we mm. flew over uh, at great expense um if you do hear him running around that's uh, because um well he's still alive because we paid for him to come over uh, and he should be <laughs> eternally grateful but i do love him uh that is that aside that's good isn't it that aside uh you would think he goes wouldn't you that you know moving over to london should be like a harbinger of like culture and and trips through europe and there has been a little bit of that there's been some theater and i've, I've gone overseas and, and done the Eurostar thing and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff but I, I did also just end up playing cricket again uh, which is uh which has been good because it's, <laughs> yeah you know you just do what you know Always but um what you know well i had no friends coming over so the first thing i thought was i'll join a cricket club um yeah but uh and i and i did so i was, I was lucky enough to play and this is I think you helped him with this. How he goes and so did Dave. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, well, average forty-seven <laughs> over four games, but we won't go through that. But um, I played for a wandering side called the Authors Eleven. Like they have things like that over here, like a um, a, bu- a bunch of people who get together to actually hang out and talk and um, be a community. <laughs> <laughs> and this side's called the Authors Eleven. You can only play for it if you've written a book. And um, I only was allowed to play sort of a third of the games because um, I'm, you know, a third of a great cricketer. But it's this great side of like uh, historians and um, young children's authors and literary agents uh, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, we mm-hmm. got to play on some really nice grounds, and we, we played against teams uh, called things like the Thespian Thunderers, which is you know full of actors. Um, you know, you can only be in that side if you've been on the West End. <laughs> Uh, or, or, you know, the Archbishops of Canterbury 11, uh, which is uh, you have to believe in God, <laughs> I suppose. So um, um, they, they were actually, yeah, they were a tough team. <laughs> but um, I, I had, I had, I had a really good time. And it, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, with God on their side, etc. Yeah, very good. But um, um, had a good this, time. Would I be right in saying this sounds fucking village? <laughs> yes. Absolutely, um, but um, and, and you know, don't get me wrong. Like, like I joined this side because I mm. wanted to get away from the like hyper aggression of grade cricket, etc. I was like, finally, I'll learn. I'll be able to sort of see what it's like to play cricket for reasons other than just offering people and trying to you know continue living dreams that died years ago. Uh, I can just actually enjoy the game because English people do that very well. Uh, in in yeah. that kind of stereotypically genteel way, and what I found was that yeah. is true. They do enjoy the game and everything around it. The grounds are beautiful. It's nice little pastel colours. People are friendly with each other, and they don't sledge. Um, but after the game, I essentially got feedback from the entire team that they were disappointed with how I played because I didn't um, come as the Aussie sledger. Uh, they, I think mm-hmm. they sort of secretly wanted me to be that guy. And I didn't want to be that guy, so I've still sort of got some identity work to do around who I am. <laughs> there is something about the English that you that that you that you'll obviously pick up on, and that's that like the, the English people really love their Australians to be as Australian as possible, just like a, as big a cliche as you like. Like they all they'll talk about is barbecues, um, shrimp, etc., mm. uh, and just hyper aggression. That's what they want their Australian men to be. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's right, um, by and large. Yeah, uh, we're animals. 
to them. So, uh, uh, hello to forty percent of our English fans out there. So it's speaking yeah, of people clicking yeah, off exactly. just now. Just a bit of yeah. just a bit of casual racism to start. I love being here in England. I love English people. Let me be clear. Um, it's just banter. He goes, "What? I'm going to stop talking. What have you been up to?" Um, mate, well, it, it's been a long time, obviously, without without the boys in my life. Um, talking to you on a weekly basis, of course. One of the biggest things that we've done since we since we finished the podcast pre India tour um, is that we wrote another book, um, and and we'll get into that later. Um, and unfortunately, Dave isn't here because obviously he's, he's a huge contributor to that. But um, so that's something that we did, I suppose. Um, I also finished a law degree, but that's not interesting to anyone because what the most interesting thing that's happened to me is that I played one game of cricket at the beginning of this mm. year, Great. and um, and and uh, and what happened with that was I started the game and immediately realised I'd made a huge mistake. There <laughs> <laughs> you go. Just just, just to um, stop you, can we just wind it back a little bit? Can you tell us about? Sure why you decided to play, what the approach was uh, from this person and just some of the thoughts that you may have had leading into it. You know, did you think this could be your resurrection? Did you think you could kind of resolve your or reconcile your feelings about cricket uh, in this way? Uh, you know, you, you graduated from law, you're a more mature man, perhaps mm. you were going to see different elements mm. of cricket that you never had before. <laughs> uh, did any of that happen? Why, why'd you do it? <laughs> nah. Um, <laughs> so what happened was I'm uh, uh, living with a bloke uh, who is the captain of a team and he has been trying to get me to play for his team for about 10 years. And uh, and so I, I caved in because it's very hard to escape all the, uh, not the taunts, but the, all the invitations to say, mate, you've got to come and play. And now that he knew that I wasn't doing anything on Saturdays, because um, obviously we weren't writing a book anymore and I wasn't studying anymore, so I didn't have anything else to do. So mm. he said, well, you know, come down and play. And I thought I just didn't have it. I didn't have an enemy to say that I hate cricket and um, it's killed every single ounce of me. <laughs> That's not true. But, every um, ounce. But he... <laughs> but, um, so I said, go on then, I'll play. I'll play the first game and I'll see how I get along. So... <clears throat> So and also it was a free lift to the game, so that was that was that sort of well, yeah. uh, subs subs paid for, and I didn't have to bring tea. So you know that really yeah. ticked a lot of boxes. So played the game. Uh, we we lost the toss. We were fielding. It was just a one day game, first game of the season. The other team got two hundred and fifty or something, and I was out on the boundary. I was I was boundary riding, and I spent a lot of time fetching sixes. And uh, I was just thinking then, it was just like, I could be doing anything else, but I'm at deep mid-wicket to a bloke by bowling halfway down the wicket. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, to fetch balls over the fence. So that was that was the part of it. And then when I came into bat, um, I faced about three balls and I thought, I thought, this is it. This is my last ever innings. I just didn't want to do it. I didn't want to be there. I'd, I'd had enough of cricket and uh, I'd given it everything in my life. And cricket's been great to me, obviously. Um, but uh, there was like a really bad off spinner bowling um, and I attempted to cut a ball and I was dismissed bowled and it was just yuck. It was a bad shot. I knew it was a bad shot, but I was in some way relieved that, that was the last time I'd ever be dismissed and the, the final part of grieving of my cricket career <laughs> had begun. And as I like turned around, the, <laughs> the bowler just said, that's a fucking shit shot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I thought, yeah, he's right. He's right. I mean, he probably wouldn't play sixth grade, but he's right. It was a bad <laughs> shot. And so I walked off the field. The team, the team chased down 250 
Uh, one bloke got 120. We won the game with two balls to spare, and I just felt nothing. I felt nothing for this amazing victory of chasing down 250 in a one day with two balls left. I felt nothing. Didn't care. Uh, so um, continuing on uh, an important theme, he goes because really, like I'm, I'm sure that this podcast and everything that we've done with the grade cricket is cricket is essentially an exercise in therapy. Like we are trying, we're trying <laughs> yeah. to understand what this thing means so like i feel like mm. i'm just on the couch listening to you deal with that at the moment are you feeling a bit better about it now <laughs> i feel better that i've you know finally committed to, to not playing anymore but you know what it's it's funny because i look back on like all my playing days and definitely the highlight for me was playing in england and i think it was because you're allowed to enjoy it in england like you, you mm. are you actually are really allowed to enjoy playing cricket in england whereas in australia mm. it's it's be good or fuck off um so <laughs> and i've done the latter <laughs> uh, he goes sp- speaking of um the winter and things that have been going on in the off season we thought we might just do a bit of a recap of the you know the state of the nation of australian cricket and the things that have been going on since we've um been on hiatus uh mm. I-, I thought we perhaps could each bring sort of one thing that we thought was the most pivotal part of the off season or the biggest highlight of the uh the non-australian cricket season um yeah. Does anything spring to mind for you there? Well, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind for me is like the India series, which now feels like an absolute lifetime ago, um, given that there's been a lot of things happening, pay disputes, obviously that Bangladesh tour. I think Australia played some one days in India recently. Don't, don't get me wrong, the JLT Cup has been a huge highlight for me as well, as, as long as all of our listeners, especially those from the UK. But that India <laughs> series, I mean, we, we finished the podcast at the beginning of this year and uh, we just thought, I think every single person we spoke to thought it was going to be 4-0. Um, England had been there a few months prior, lost 3-0. Uh, no, they lost 4-0. And so I think I said that a good result for us would be to lose 3-0. So we'd be ahead in that respect going into mm. the Ashes. But um, it turns out that we played the fourth Test match and we had a chance to win the series. Um, we obviously, we being the Australian cricket team, um, we not being anything that I'm part of, but, um, but Australia had a chance to win the series in India, which would have been absolutely remarkable. But some of those performances were just incredible. Like, I had some doubts about Renshaw in India, but um, he batted fantastically. And then, obviously, Nathan Lyon was heroic. And, and Steve O'Keefe was obviously fantastic as well, um, pre-incident. So there was, like, some amazing performances there. And to lose 2-1 in India, well, there's been a lot better teams than this current Australia team to lose 2-1 in India. So I thought that was probably the highlight, even though that feels like... It was an absolute lifetime ago, um, but uh, what, yeah, and, and I think um, what, what, what was your takeaway? Well, I think just on that as well, people um, may have quickly forgotten how well Australia did play over there, and that the context of them going there was that uh, for once, I think they decided to abandon their kind of orthodoxy around, you know putting the front dog down the deck and hitting guys on the full and hitting them over the top and, you know, trying to push the push the game forward. I think there's just been so many losses and, like, you know, disgraceful losses over there that they sort of realised they had to play a bit differently and be a little bit humble about it. And it actually worked wonders mm. for them um, to the point where, mm. as you said, they had it all to play for going to the fourth test. And, you know, if, if they had pulled something off there, and, and obviously they didn't, uh, you'd be talking about it as one of the great series wins in Australian cricket history, you know, throughout a long period yeah. of time. And I, I think 
the fact that they were quite underwhelming in Bangladesh, which I'm sure is um, related to the pay dispute that happened immediately beforehand, kind of mm-hmm. leaves the Australian team heading into the Ashes actually statistically having won only one of their last five series and not looking that good. Right. But I, I just I just think that they um, that India series, at least from a, a character point of view, uh, was a real really big step forward for them and. Um, I think Australia are going to be a little bit better this series than most people are giving them credit for. Uh, for, for me, mate, I think I'm trying to keep it like a bit of a global theme because I'm over here now uh, in London. But mm. um, there was some very important news that came through in the last couple of weeks from the Marlebone Cricket Club uh, who updated their laws. And I think there was a couple of laws updated that have specific reference to club cricketers everywhere to the point where we're already seeing uh, examples of it flying around the internet uh, in just wonderfully aggressive ways. So I want I wanted to talk about the most important thing that's happened in cricket since we've spoken mm. is that uh, the mm. mancad law has been updated. And, they've uh, changed the laws of the game. They've, cha- they've changed the laws of the game. And uh, so <laughs> the, the, onus, the onus, as many people listening to the cast will know, you know, the onus is now on the non-striking batsman to remain in the crease yeah. before a bowler yeah. releases the ball. Um, previously... Yeah. Uh, I think, what was it, he goes, so, so now the bowler has to actually, t- can take the stumps before the ball was reasonably delivered. Uh, and previously there was a little bit more protection for the non-striker. And then, you know, that's before you even yeah. get into the kind of the unwritten laws of warning batsmen, etc. But now it's just being treated like a run out, <laughs> essentially. And uh, we've already had incidents yeah. uh, at club cricket level, actually. It does it get more club cricket than this, he goes. Um, Footscray third grade. Uh, this was a piece in the, um, some of the Melbourne... <laughs> One of the Melbourne papers recently, with nine wickets down yeah. and Paran's Sam Hill on strike, um, his team Paran needed five runs off the final six balls, and uh, steaming in was a was Merv Hughes's son, <laughs> and uh, Merv was at, Merv was at the game. Uh, watching on, and uh, you, you know what happens next. You know his son takes the bales off Footscray win, <laughs> and um, <laughs> apparently Merv was asked for his thoughts about it from the paper. It's not a direct quote, but it, but someone told the paper that Merv was very happy with it. <laughs> he was all for it, uh, and the, and the Paran coach uh, said while they weren't going to protest it, and they understand it's within the rules, and they were well aware of the changes. Um, he did say also that he you know he didn't like the idea. Uh, but it's within the you know it leaves a bit of a sour taste. So, it's, but it's within the rules. So, what do you do? Uh, he goes, do you have a view on on man catting? I've previously just hated everything about it, and and I was actually reading something maybe yesterday that said something along the lines of like, if you win a game via mancad, what's the point of winning it when you just feel absolutely horrible for committing it? I mean, I think that actually, um, you know indicates that that person would have to have some sort of moral conscience at all um, and anybody who's ever committed the mancad obviously doesn't uh, but uh, I, I've always it's very yuck isn't it the mancad rule but I actually I like the new rule change actually that it's the onus is now on the batsman so now it's ne- it's now actually like the batsman's fault if you get mancadded as opposed to the bowler being an absolute prick it's actually now the batsman's fault <laughs> which I, I, I like I like the shifting of blame there. Um, purely well, from a I, I, perspective. I mean, can, can I introduce sort of the, the first uh, flashpoint of conflict on this show? Because I just just completely disagree, and and I, with you, and I want to um, I want to speak on behalf of a lot of great cricketers who will be listening. You know, who surely will be thinking, "Mancat is just one of the great dismissals of all time." And you know, you what, what you're saying, what you're saying about feeling awful, I, I just have no. <laughs> 
I just can't identify with that. Um, I, I don't really mean that, and I know what you mean because you know, in the scheme of wickets and the way someone is dismissed from the ground, you think, gosh, it's yeah. not. You haven't really outskilled them that much. You know, you think there nah. should be something like that. However, uh, we do often forget that just leaving the crease early is cheating. You know, it just it simply yeah. is, and and the owner should be <laughs> on the batsman to stay in. You know, uh, so. Yeah, I, you know, I don't really have any sympathy for non-striking batsmen who get out that way. And also, it's just it shows such a lack of awareness anyway um, to do that. So um, it's a shame. It's a shame that Dave isn't here actually because I'm I'm very confident that this has happened to him before. Um, yeah. that he may have spoken about in the past. I think Dave's actually been man-catted. So. Um, I mean, you're, you. I think you're coming from a bowling perspective. Back when you're ripping leg spinners, um, Good point. that you that you might have you might have always just wanted, like if you maybe dragged a couple down, you thought, "Fuck, I just wish I could just run this bloke out without actually having to do anything." I think that's what you're coming from. Whereas me as a batsman, just think that you're cheating, <laughs> mate. I mean, look, we're, we're gonna we're gonna talk. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Dave and I have spoken about this actually, and he said he was he was so scarred by it as a twelve year old, he can't have any position other than just. Uh, thinking man catting is abhorrent, and I think I just said to him, "Why were you cheating?" Which I don't think helped. But um, I mean, imagine, cheating, imagine um, an Ashes decided on a man cat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> just, just pic- picture it now. You know, Mitchell Stark coming into bowl, uh, and you know, who, I mean, who who's one English batsman? Joe Root's on strike, and Stuart Broad or Jimmy Anderson mm. is the number eleven at the non-striker's end. You know, a packed mm. SCG. The Ashes has gone to the fifth day. <laughs> There's fading light, and in comes in comes Mitchell Stark. You know, the, the field surrounding the bat because England only need three to win and there's only an over left in the day and uh, maybe there's two balls, you know, he's trying to get a run or something and Stark comes in and man cads him. I mean, can you imagine the scenes? I'd imagine that'd be the best result, the, the best celebration in Australian cricket history, wouldn't it? I've changed my mind. I've changed my mind. There'd be a, there'd be a national holiday. There'd be riots yeah. in the UK. <laughs> the great um, man can. There'd, there'd be mass evacuations of all Australian ex- expats in uh, in uh, you know West London in Clapham. Um, and uh, yeah, that'd be yeah. That day would then be called Mitchell Stark Day for the rest of that rest of time. It'd be phenomenal. Yeah. I've changed my mind yeah. on Mancad. I love it. Bring it back in. <laughs> it is very good he goes uh, on that topic one thing we did realize last year was that uh, while there were some times we did feel qualified to talk about cricket there were other times when we felt like it might be better to talk with someone who is very close to the game uh, after the break we're going to hear from someone who fits that mold exactly uh, a couple of days ago we caught up with Adam Collins uh, freelancer extraordinaire and actually we were uh, lucky enough to have all three of us on the chat so it will be Dave he goes and I talking with uh, Colo, and I will call him Colo, uh, and we'll hear from him after this. We great cricketers work hard. Everything has to be hard at all times. Work hard. Circuit hard. Just be hard. Never smart. Always hard. So we have a new element to this TGC podcast. Uh, it occurs to us that whenever we've done this show, we're just three blokes who intermittently like cricket and then sometimes don't like cricket. And it means that when we talk about cricket, sometimes we're um, nowhere near close enough to the game to make uh, anything approaching a reasonable comment. So for that reason, we have uh, decided to call into the show 
a few people who do follow the game closely, professionally, if you will. And it is our pleasure to uh, have on the line today Adam Collins, who many of you will know from The Guardian, from Wisden, from ABC, from everywhere, really. And uh, you'll get to know him more this summer. Uh, Colo is living in London. I'll just call you Colo now, obviously. He's living in London, and uh, he's been very close to the English side, and he'll be close to the Australian side this summer as well. Uh, Colo, welcome to the Grey Cricketer Podcast. It's lovely to be here. I'm, shall I say, long term, long time listener, first time caller, as it were. Because <laughs> you have just called in, actually. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> Co- Colo, we thought we'd ask uh, you about the English side to kick off because you are uh, in London. You follow them around. Um, you're with the press pack. And, uh, you know, traditionally in Australia, we have no idea about the opposition because we're so self-loathing and so self-focused uh, at home. So we thought maybe you could tell us a little bit about some of these... Uh, guys coming over to Australia, um, and we won't get to Ben Stokes just yet because we don't know if he's coming, but uh, can you tell us about Mark Stoneman and, you know, David Milan and James Vince and these guys that we're going to um, have four for 40 very quickly? Yeah, well, I think they will. That's the thing. They've, they've, these, are, these are players who have been given an opportunity. Some of them are sustained run in the England side over the last couple of years. Trevor Bayless, the England coach, uh, said they were only going to turn to Stock, who played in the last couple of years, and that sort of underpinned the decision to pick James Vince. He played seven test matches last summer and struggled. He, he barely got out of the blocks, never made it to 50, uh, and generally speaking, fairly vulnerable as a you know, nick-off merchant and, uh, and and did accordingly. But um, uh, they went to him anyway, despite fairly modest accounting returns this year. So it's quite confusing. Gary Ballance is another who's on, on the tour. Um, he's had three opportunities uh, to play in the England side and been dropped each time. Uh, I, I sort of feel for Ballance, though. He did break a finger. Um, and he just looks like he might be coming into some form for England earlier this summer. So he's another player who more than likely will feature in the first Test match. Uh, Milan, yeah, Milan was picked um, for the second half of the England summer. He, he looked okay at various intervals. He's a fairly aggressive player. He's mostly known for his white ball cricket at Middlesex, and now he's got an opportunity to play in the Test side. But he's again, he's vulnerable. He's not the sort of player you want. Um, coming in at three for fifty or, or something like that, if he does end up batting at number five, uh, and Stoneham's probably Stoneham's probably the most uh, most accomplished of the of the players. Although he's about the the forty seventh opener they've used to partner with Alistair Cook since Andrew Strauss retired. They've got a real um, post Shane Warne problem going there, as, as it were. Since Strauss retired, they kept churning through openers, but he's looked the man most likely so far. Got himself on the plane. Um, made truckloads of county runs at a couple of different counties now and, and, and looks the part. So he may not be quite as comfortable as the others, but on the whole, they are bringing a side out here who are far from uh, far from consistent. At the start of the English summer, they had three batting positions in the lineup which they hadn't filled, and they were they were trying to fill through the summer, and they're no closer. It's a game of musical chairs, really, when it comes to that Vince, Balance and Milan um, situation. They just happen to be in the right place at the right time. So not to question their capacity, but mm. they haven't really exactly banged the door down for a tour, as you might have to do so in previous summers. Well, Colo, I think um, one of your colleagues, Jim Maxwell, described this batting lineup as one of the worst English sides to ever tour Australia. Like, I mean, I'm a big fan of you know binary assessments, but are they probably the worst <laughs> English side to tour Australia in your memory? Uh, look, yeah, I mean, I, I love the I love the pre Ashes phony wall pantomime stuff. It's brilliant, and I, I always enjoy it when Jim um, uh, plays his dots. Uh, so uh, well played there. I didn't hear that comment, but I like it. Uh, look, I think on the basis that when you got three of your top five, and also Ben Stokes, as you mentioned, uh, in re- in real jeopardy, that that does. Uh, justify those sort of questions being asked. Having said that, uh, they've got legit match winners in uh, in Joe Root, obviously, who is pound for pound the best player in the world alongside Smith, Coley, 
uh, and perhaps Williamson is that sort of quartet of, of top four players in the world right now. So you can't under, undersell that and all the experience of Cook who came out and made 700 runs in Australia all bit seven years ago. So they've still got players who can do it, obviously, but um, yeah, there's clear vulnerabilities there which feed beautifully into the Australian strength, which is fast bowling, and despite the fact that Pattinson uh, is now missing out, uh, and that would have created a, a glorious fab four had those four blokes been available at the same time. It would have been very exciting to cover and watch, but nevertheless, with um, Stark and Cummins bowling at 155 clicks and Hazelwood more or less landing them in a shoebox at will, um, they're going to find it very hard to get out of the blocks. <laughs> Colo, what about um, Moeen Ali, who seems to be at the moment a combination of um, Morley and Bradman? Um, <laughs> is he going to bat as low as seven? I mean, like he's just, but the wickets won't spin, will they? Like the, like they have been in the UK for him. Like he's just an enigma. Yeah, as low as eight. He's batted eight uh, quite a lot in Test cricket as well. Uh, Moeen Ali is such a complicated player. When he when he took a bag of ten wickets earlier this summer, he he made the point that he, he likes it better when he's considered the second spinner. Uh, this sort of mind game stuff. He was playing with, with Dawson in, in the early part of the summer, and then with the bat. I mean, he's, he's churned out well over a thousand. I think he's got fourteen hundred runs a couple of years ago, well, in the previous twelve months span from summer to summer, uh, and, and made four hundreds in that time as well. So he's clearly no jobber. Um, and coming in at number eight, this is absolutely dominant. There's always a case for him coming up uh, and batting in the top six, but they do want to utilise him as the main spinner. So he's a complex player. I think the, the benefit of Moeen is that he can genuinely win a match with bat or ball. He's not a part-time spinner. I remember a couple of years ago uh, when Australia toured England, the question put to him was, that you know, have you finally shaken the tag of being sort of a part-time tweaker? And he, and he sort of said, well, I've never been that. And he, and he took offence at that. But then he's the guy talking himself down. So there's a lot internal sort of uh, mm. debates going on inside his own head as to actually what role he played. But one thing, you know, the, 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 the thing we do know definitively is that he can win a game with bat or ball. And, um, you know, when we know uh, how vulnerable that England batting lineup is, as we've already discussed in the top order, having the ballast to then batting as deep as they do kind of offsets that, not least the fact that mm. when Chris Wokes as well, batting at nine potentially, this is a guy who's got 10 first-class hundreds and made his debut as a test number six. So it's a bit, bit upside down, but they do bat deep. So that's one of their, their comparative advantages compared to Australia, for instance, who are a long way from settling their six or seven. Oh, Colo, this is just like wonderfully comprehensive from you. I mean, it really puts us in the shade when we discuss things. I just wanted to uh, I, I try and make it a little bit I'm more. I'm taking notes. Yeah, exactly. Taking notes. Exactly. This is, is fantastic. Um, How do you stop it, Sam? Um, Colo, uh, yeah, this is about the time when we say, can we have some gloves? But I don't know what the journalistic equivalent is. Can I have a notepad? No, just seriously. Um, Dictaphone. I know that you you do run closely with a lot of the UK press and um, right now we're all waiting, as David Warner said, to find out about what the hell is going on with Ben Stokes. I mean, there's this kind I mean, just to speak personally here in the UK, there seems to be this sort of underlying um, kind of presumption that we'll eventually find out that he's not going to play in the Ashes. But I I suspect like it's just, you know, when sometimes it's just a little bit too quiet. You know, I don't trust at the moment that there aren't um, some wonderful purveyors of UK rhetoric coming up with a great reason as to why Ben Stokes <laughs> should play in the Ashes. We know that this is a police matter, obviously, and that we're just waiting for that. But do you get any sense over here or, you know, with your colleagues as to what is going to happen and what the mood is with those guys? I just think that from Stokes' perspective, if that video didn't come out, precisely what you're saying, Sam, would have occurred. There's several different storylines which have been presented, not least by Piers Morgan, mm-hmm. uh, about what may or may not have actually occurred <laughs> that night. And I think that if not for the compelling or damning, if you like, uh, video that The Sun published. And, and, and sort of to that end, The Sun's 
um, correspondent, John Etheridge, made the point that um, the Australian media is fragmented state by state so that, you know, if, if Ben Stokes comes to Brisbane, the, the, the circus will kick off in Brisbane, then it will in Adelaide, then it will in Perth and so on and so forth, and it will uh, make it hard to focus. It's not like in, in England where there's kind of one nationalised media pack, if you like. So there, there's um, there's something to be said for that. Uh, look, I, I, I know that the, the police came out again yesterday and asked for, for witness statements again, which suggests they haven't really got uh, much to go with at the moment. And if there's the case that they can't lay charges before the, the plane takes off, maybe he does fly. I mean, you know, that, that's that's the, 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 the assumption from the day this all kicked off was that he'd be charged at some point between uh, when they play, well, between when it occurred and when the first tour match starts um, later this month. But the fact that he still um, hasn't been charged and we're going on now two and a half weeks, like maybe they don't lay charges and then, then, who, then who knows? Then they might have to make a decision based on more like PR rather than the law or make an assessment based on what sort of reputational damage uh, England cricket would suffer from having a guy who's just been involved in such a fairly you know, brutal altercation. And, and say what you will about the, the rationale and, and, and reason why it occurred, that it doesn't detract from the fact that everyone's public or the public perception of what happened is that it's utterly brutal. So, um, you know, I think that's the sort of debate that's going on internally. Although, as you say, Sam, you couldn't rule it out. I mean, it is an Ashes series. Ian Botham um, did tour um, when he was, uh, when he was um, uh, under, under a similar charge uh, some 25 years ago. Um, now, of course, the world's changed considerably in that time and, and, and the scrutiny is different to what it's ever been. But, you know, you, you couldn't rule it out, but I think we're talking about single digits probability that Ben Stokes will be there at the Gabba on day one. What was Botham charged with? Well, enough you... tangent that <laughs> just interested in what, why he Ian belt... Botham was charged. <laughs> he he, he, he belted a bike well in a nightclub. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah he, 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 he and, um, I think he was involved in it. Was, I think he got charged. Uh, I can't remember what he was charged with now. He, he, he definitely yeah, too and then he returned back to England to, to face the courts after that. Yeah. Colin, do you reckon that um, the the whole thing in Australia, the whole thing, for lack of a better phrase, it's a shocking phrase, but like the uh, the whole thing in Australia at the moment about you know one punch victims and one punch attacks and stuff and, and coward punches and all that is so prevalent in the media. I mean, it's basically shut down Sydney's um, nightlife. Um, and then you see the footage of exactly this, you know, a bloke being knocked to the ground by an international athlete. Like it's pretty um, scary footage the current climate in Australia surrounding one-punch attacks actually adds to this at all? Yeah, I, I do. You can't disassociate uh, sport from the broader goings-on in, in, the, in, the, in the broader discourse, if you like. Um, and we know that you know, when it comes to what's mm. been going on at the moment with the, with the same-sex marriage, uh, postal vote farce and how that's, how that's, um, how that's sort of pervaded sport as well and, and, and back and forth and away we go. So, I mean, I think that... The, the way in which we can't decouple the two, I, I think you're dead right. I think that if you did come out, there would be a lot of scrutiny around, not just the sort of the idea of being out at 2.30 in the morning getting a punch on, but the idea that someone with, you know, I know when boxers get into altercations like this, that the law judged them very dimly for the fact that they consider a boxer's hands to be lethal weapons. Well, you look at Ben Stokes, he's built like a brick shithouse, look at his arms, but he knows the damage he could do, mm. and, I'm, and I'm sure that um, that won't be lost upon uh, the Australian media or the broader conversation around Stokes if he does too. That's part of the reason I don't think he will. I just think that it will be a circus and the, the amount that would be lost... I mean, I think the one thing Australians don't realise about Ben Stokes is that he's, he's legitimately the best player in the world on his day at the moment. You get a lot of internet trolls and whatnot who don't necessarily understand... Um, Stokes, because they look at his averages and they and they say that you know that he that he hasn't got a, a a body of work which reflects you know what people say about him. But you see the way he bowled at Lords against the West Indies a couple of months ago. And you see the way 
Uh, he's batted. Yep. I mean, obviously, there's the, there's the noteworthy example of the double hundred a year and a half ago, but on several occasions now for England, making unbelievable tons and in difficult circumstances as well. And he, he is legitimately uh, England's best player. And I know his day, as I said, the best player in the world, really, um, in terms of all-round capacity. So um, and I'm not entirely sure we, we quite have that across that yet in Australia. But, I mean, it is a massive loss for England. But you have to offset that against uh, how much um, how much it would detract from their broader mission if they brought a bloke out and the whole story is about him every single day. Mm. Mm. Colo, so amazingly thorough from you. I do wonder whether um, bringing him out might light the fuse, uh, as it were, uh, just to recycle Ooh. a really old cliche. But I just, just, just to wrap up, mate. I, I know we yeah. focused on England here. I mean, do you just, just give us a prediction of what you think will happen in the Ashes? I know it's a, that's an annoying thing for someone to ask you to do. I mean, are Australians uh, entitled or validated in thinking this is going to be a procession? What do you think is going to happen? Six nil. Yeah. Well. Yeah, yeah, six nil precisely. Look, I reckon the, uh, the the sort of like the few things to deal with that first. It's the, I mean, yeah, like David Warner um, and his comments over the last forty eight hours, his last two media appearances, they're they're they're, they're intentional. Uh, David Warner doesn't say anything these days unless he knows exactly uh, what he's doing, and he he wants this to be um, a series played on on those terms, on hostile terms. David Warner's um, public commentary has been at complete odds with um, this idea for the last year or so. I've interviewed him a few times where he. Where he he couldn't be further away from what he said a couple of days ago um, in terms of the way his life's changed and how he frames that up and, and the way he's been, you know, it's, there's little things being dubbed the reverend, but there's a reason behind that. So I, I know it's pretty obvious that Australia <laughs> want this to be a very hostile tour, and that's understandable. It's been their comparative advantage historically, and they don't have um, the same sort of experienced, battle-hardened animals, if you like, who played for 10 years and have so much... Uh, scar tissue in this in this squad. It's a different kind of Australian side. They're basically a bunch of relatively nice young men, dare I say it. I mean, it's not, it's not necessarily in keeping with the, the great cricketer um, philosophy, but you look at this Australian side, they're not a bunch <laughs> of cricketers. And, 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 that's, and that's kind of like, and that's not for nothing. So I think that Warner realises that in the absence of Matthew Wade, who will almost certainly be dropped, he, someone's going to do it. And even though he perhaps doesn't feel as comfortable um, over the last couple of years in expressing himself that way, that now he's taken on that role again. So I look forward to sort of seeing how that plays out, whether he sustains it through the whole the whole test series. As to how how the results go, I mean, I'm reluctant to get into the the margin stuff. But I mean, when I was asked the other week, I said that like neither side are good enough to um, to, to thrash the other. There, there will be there will be test matches that both sides go out and lose for themselves. So I think that it's fair to assess that you know we'll see a, a test series where both teams win a test, and they get many draws these days. So hopefully, um, it can go three two one way or the other because we haven't had a a brilliant um, Ashes series on Australian soil, a close Australian Ashes series for, for you know a quarter of a century. We, we sort of have earned one. We deserved a, a brilliant home summer Ashes series where, and it might be the fact that neither of these sides are particularly good that might give it to us. And I think that's a good thing. Colo, thanks so much brilliant. for your time. Good stuff. Um, brilliant. I, brilliant. I, I, I would take issue with, I, I think Lehman would be offended by the uh, notion that the Australian team is a good bunch of blokes. But um, that aside, we look forward to, um, <laughs> we look forward to catching up with you this summer, um, easily the best young commentator coming through, Adam Collins. Um, thanks for joining us on The Great Cricketer, and uh, uh, we'll, uh, we'll catch you soon. Ever so kind. Nice to talk to you, Blake. See you during the summer. Big day? No, big night. I've got to clean up the last two wickets, sing the song, do the covers, sing the song, drink 42 beers in the sheds, have a shower, sing the song, publicly objectify my teammates' rigs, compare sizes, tell everyone how good I was when I was 17, go to a strip club, lie to my wife, then spend all of Sunday being an emotionally absent father and husband. (sighs) Big nights start with grade cricket. Lying to yourself has never been harder. 
Well, yeah. it, it's our pleasure and it's completely appropriate to be joined by this person on uh, the first show of the second season of the Grey Cricketer podcast. I'd say I'd say best friend of the show, really. I mean, this guy's the guy that I brag to about, um, you know, to my friends and family about knowing. Uh, he's also a guy that was the leading Shield run scorer in 2016-17 with 969 runs at an average of 73.76, but he could tell you that. Uh, we're introducing to the mm. show, boys... Ed Cowan. Ed, welcome. Gents, thanks for having me back. Do you have any other guests on? It seems like I'm on every second week. Very good. (laughs) (laughs) Alpha immediately. Yeah, Yeah. early alpha. Start. Um, And he he calls us champs. Good. Yeah, he said gents, but I thought he said champs. Uh, How are you? But anyway, either or. I said said gents. Yeah. Yeah. Champs would have worked. All right. Uh, Let's start. So um, sensitive, Hugo. You are so sensitive, mate. May have something to do with your current gym <laughs> working on those pipes. It's funny, you, mate. Ed, it's so funny you say that because he's on. Um, we've got him over. I've got him on Skype here. Shouldn't really be uh, pumping up other brands, but he keeps um, scratching the back of his head and thus showing off a huge right bicep. And I'm kind of finding it distracting. <laughs> yeah, left bicep. Turning into one of those guys. If, if anyone has pleasure of following he on instagram his instagram stories are now like gym snaps you know like he's like mm, pumping iron oh, today 5 45 a.m like yeah. he thinks he's like a, a female health blogger or something <laughs> 2.5 million followers so he can vlog some body lotion next uh, next post we are in the market for sponsors <laughs> yeah, brand integration, uh, uh, please uh, approach us. All right, cricket at Gmail. Well, thanks for thanks for coming on, Ted. Um, <laughs> love the rest of the uh, season. Uh, <laughs> I think that's an inadequate response. He goes, but let's let's carry on. Let's talk about firstly um, something dear to our hearts. Let's 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 pick up where you left off the grade season, Ed. Before we get into um, greater exploits, you guys at Sydney Uni won the first grade competition. Last year, you made 95 in the final, I believe, because I just follow everything on my cricket. Um, can you tell us about those celebrations and whether you even get nervous playing first-grade finals anymore? Uh, it was awesome. It was awesome. I love playing Sydney. You know that. I actually invited Higos down to watch us play the other day, but he turned it down, uh, playing his old club, Gordon. Uh, so he's not allowed anywhere near Gordon uh, Cricket Club anymore. They've completely disowned him. But that's a different story altogether. <laughs> Uh, so we had a great win. It was a famous victory. Uh, played it back. There was a bit of controversy the week before. We finished on top, won the semi-final, and then they moved the grand final to our opposition home ground because our ground wasn't in good enough condition, which was an absolute debacle. So we were blowing up. Lost the toss on a flat wicket. They batted for about, well, it felt like three days, but it wasn't. It was two. Um, and then we had to bat out about 150 overs for a draw. Ron Carter's. In his last ever innings, a hundred off about four hundred and ninety-five balls to save the day. Uh, Sydney Uni Q celebrations. Devlin Malone in a in a duffel bag. He's about four foot five. We packed him up, put him on a backpack. <laughs> Next minute, Frankie's Pizza, four a.m. You know, eating pizza <laughs> on the floor. Just a natural circuit. Yeah. Just, just what happens when you win a, when you win premiership. Yeah, it, it, but this was better than just a natural circuit. You know, natural circuit is, you know, what's on, lads? Let's mm. go to the sheaf. This was Frankie's Pizza. Yeah. Special place. Oh, so everyone was in agreement on that, or did someone someone lead the charge? Um, were you the one kind of leading? I was leading. So it was Greg Mayle's last ever game, the greatest grade cricketer ever in the history of grade cricket. 
there's some hyperbole for you. Uh, so it was his last game. He <laughs> wanted to go have a beer in the sheds. There's no better place for it. <laughs> Uh, and so we went back and drank the grandstand dry at Sydney Uni and then, you know, lockout laws, we had nowhere to go. We were like, the only place that will let us in is Frankie's Pizza. So we yeah. went there. It's funny, we were just talking about lockout laws there earlier. I thought when you were saying Mailey wanted to have, because he's Mailey now, obviously, but when he wanted to have a beer in the sheds, that it was going to turn into a like a Michael <laughs> Clark situation where maybe one of the younger persons, <laughs> one of the younger people's, like, like the hussy scenario. No, no, we're going on a cruise on a yacht. Um, but no, you guys stayed in the sheds, keeping it real. We kept yeah. it very real. Tears, the full beer, snood showers, you know. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, let, let's let's fast forward to um, you know professional matters, Ed. Uh, New South Wales J- JLT Cup, well, let's just call it Mercantile Mutual Cup um, campaign has finished. You batted number five throughout the series, a couple of fifties. You just keep scoring runs. You just really love scoring runs. Obviously, you still continue to do it, but it ended in um, controversial circumstances. So I'm watching from London. Um, you guys play at North Sydney Oval and. Cummins and Stark. It was and, a shamozzle. Yeah. Absolute circus. Well, they're like bowling. The that's really right. Well, they're bowling heat at these guys. You're defending a very, very low total, and it's not looking good for the Blues. And then the, I'm just watching from the screen, and it just all sort of stops. Then all of a sudden, the New South Wales players are kind of crowded around the umpire and the, and the Victorian players as well. Can you just – and it gets called off. Victoria would get the points um, because of a dangerous pitch. Can you tell us what was being said on field at that moment? Uh, at that moment, the uh, well, my recollection suggests that the umpire said they were going to call the game off, and we sort of said why. They said, "Well, it's become dangerous." We said, "Well, it's no more dangerous than we when we batted." And they said, "Well, we think it is." And we said, "Well, that's because we bowl a bit faster than them." Exactly. Uh, and then they <laughs> no, not in a bad way. That's you know, fact. Gummins <laughs> and Stark. Um, <laughs> So it, it was dangerous. There's no doubt about that. But it was no more dangerous in the 70th over of the day than it was in the first. So it was, in a sense, it was the right decision. It was just the decision was made about four hours too late. So it was a, a bit of a schmozzle. I know it was almost like you, you were penalised for the skill of and f- like fearsomeness of your bowlers. Yeah, it was a bit ridiculous. I mean, we were very frustrated in the sense that we still felt like we probably could have won. I know the score, you know, probably thinks, oh, they need 30-odd runs or 40 runs. We need six wickets, but we needed literally one wicket and the tail would have shut themselves. Um, so it was it was going to be tighter than the scorecard suggested. I, I think what angered us the most was that they were awarded a bonus point based on the Duckworth-Lewis system, uh, which didn't reflect the game. Um, and that bonus point was enough to, to take them through. How did the JLT Cup go in, in general? I'm, I'm not actually sure what JLT it stands for, but um, it's obviously their first season as, as the sponsor of the tournament. Well, you know, it they're, they're sponsoring the Shield as well. So it's now that it's the JLT, right, if yeah. you really confuse yeah. people, it's the JLT Cup and the JLT Shield. What's the difference? And none, and yeah. none of those are, are televised. Um, so no, we don't just televise. Like, like we Sam, don't televise. We love it. Domestic cricket anymore. Why would we want to take cricket to the fans when we have the Big Bash? 
<laughs> getting it you're absolutely playing into my wheelhouse what are your thoughts on that is that is that just a terrible decision to uh i guess because back in the day the mercantile mutual cup etc was a, a great part in the i guess the fabric of australian cricket and um these these games recently the i, I looked and saw and i didn't see many fans out there what was, what was the vibe like out in the field uh well i think to the players it's still an important you know we're uh, important competition to win and, and people are, are trying their, their absolute guts out. I think it's just a, a competition sadly that Cricket Australia increasingly seeing as a, a little bit of a cost centre and a, a problem in the programming so they're, they're probably starving it to death. I don't think we mind that it's not on TV but I think if you're going to stream it, you know, have cameras at both ends and make a proper production out of it, it's, it feels it feels a bit slapstick really to have one kit to be watching some of the best players in the world with a fixed camera we're going back to 1976 abc coverage with one fixed camera um yeah you know it's i think the way we consume cricket is changing and in 10 years time no one will be probably watching cricket on tv so i i get that aspect but if we're going to do it i think uh, we should probably do it properly would it be fair to say, Ted, that you think that um, the three of us should be commentating these matches? That's actually more a question for me. Um, <laughs> Where were honestly some of the, the quality of the commentating? Some was of quite a high standard. Some, my word, you would have been shocked. <laughs> mute. Hit the mute button. <laughs> Ted, a serious question though about like the actual um, calendar of the of, of CAs, you know, throughout the year, throughout the summer, in that they play the JLT Day Cup. Um, it starts before the grand finals here in, in Australia and then you play some Sheffield Shield and then you stop for the big bash and then you play some more Sheffield Shield. Like, it's got really disruptive to actually get into any sort of groove as a, especially a batsman. Yeah, I think, to be honest, the players are pretty used to it now. It's, uh, the big bash is now an integral part of the summer. Um <laughs> You know, it's it's encroaching more and more on on those shield games and and getting longer. But I think guys are used to switching in and out of formats. I think it, it can be tough for guys who are trying to make a, a tilt at the test team, uh, and all the test cricket is played after all the shield games have essentially finished. And you know, if you got picked for the Sydney test and haven't batted for six weeks, if you're not mm. playing the Big Bash, it kind of doesn't make a whole heap of sense. But at the same time, you know. Uh, for the Big Bash to thrive, it kind of needs to be in the time slot it is. I think scheduling and um, how the Australian summer pans out over the next five years is probably going to be one of the hottest topics in cricket because um, I can I can see four-day tests, I can see day-night tests, I can see, you know, 14 Big Bash games, you know, before you know it. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking sort of next year or the year after, I'm, you know, looking into a crystal wall. I don't think that's too unrealistic like it or lump it it's, it's probably going to happen so last time we spoke on the podcast um i asked you about where you thought you were at in terms of reselection for australia and we're sort of talking at the time about adam voges who had a massive massive season um to get himself back into uh well back in, involved in the Australian setup, and they obviously had a very successful short career um you were the leading run scorer in shield last season um and do you think that you're any closer? And and also, you sort of combine that with where Cameron White's at, for instance, who's obviously smashing them in the one-day comp in Australia. He's probably one of the best batsmen in Australia at the moment, but yet he doesn't appear to be any closer to representing Australia again. Uh, and you can throw George Bailey into that mix 
pretty firmly yeah. as well. I think you could probably track the Australian ODI um, performance on a downward trend the, the moment they stopped picking George because he was too old and picking guys who hadn't even represented their state. So I think what percentage did I give myself last year when you asked? Was it like one or two? Uh, yeah, something like that, yeah. I think it's probably... It, you need to move the decimal place to the left. Um, <laughs> I think there's, no, there's, there's There's essentially no chance, I think, the way the selectors have shown their, their hand that they're not that interested in, in necessarily always picking their best team um, in all formats, not just, you know, before it was sort of we'll play around with a T20 team and a and a one-day team. I think Test Cricket, sadly, is, has become a, a little bit like that as well. So um, I think for the older guys who are performing, um, my, my gut feel is the door's probably shut. That's I don't know why the selectors have this kind of like half your age plus seven mentality, which is the same <laughs> equation that he goes has dating. If, if um, that's, if that's less that than your average, you get a game. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, well, uh, that, that's that's lovely. That's good, hard hitting, brutal punditry, Ed. Um, we'll move into. Well, I'm just waiting for the Fox Sports clickbait. Yeah, that, that, that's what this yeah, podcast exists for. Thirty cents a click. Yeah. Cal lashes out at. Yeah. That's all we do. We just go to the editor after this podcast and just give him five headlines. Yeah. You can hear the podcast here. Exclusively. Exactly. We're learning about We're this media makers. ecosystem. Let's 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 go into something that will decidedly not be on uh, any kind of professional media outlet, throwdowns. Um, but our fans <laughs> like it. Uh, Ed, I'll, I'll kick off. And for those who are listening to the podcast for the first time, throwdowns are um, a stupid thing where really we take attention through the question and the, um, the person who's answering them doesn't really get to say much. But um, we'll do it anyway. Uh, Ed, I went. Uh, I like to try and speak with people who um, know the guest beforehand and source some um, anonymous questions. And I have spoken with a few people. Um and so with that in mind, I've got a true or false question for you to kick off. Um, mm-hmm. was, was, is this true? Um, this is a quote. Ed has clearly played his test card to find his way into the slips at Sydney Uni. He has very small hands and clearly has never been able to catch. True or false? <laughs> There's actually so much to unravel there. One, I don't feel in the slips at Sydney University, so that's fundamentally false. Okay. Uh, poor, that's a, and what about the hands? Maybe it's my brother. It must have been my brother Ash from you know, third grade <laughs> who said um, that to um, I've got tiny hands, and yes, I can't catch. But um, you know, I think statistically, if you look at the the greatest ever bat pads in the in the history of the game, I'll, I'd be surprised if if my name's not there somewhere. <laughs> Very good. I just want to clarify that um, that that was a genuine quote. I haven't just made that up and said you've got small hands and you can't catch. I would never dare do that. I'm not like Higos who just calls you Ted um, really intimately on the show. But um, that what that was said, yeah. Uh, and and you're sort of semi denying it. Higos. Mm. So so can I just caveat that by the fact that that Ed Cowan. Instagram me twice today asking me if he should get a haircut. So I feel like I can call him Ted. Um, we're buddies. Speaking of which. All the people. Sam, let's go. We're buddies. Sam pesters me with long-form essay request questions. 
at all hours of the day, and Dave's just an enigma. I don't even know him. I think that's about that's about fair. I think that's about fair. That's a fair have assessment, said, I think, about all actually, our relationships. Have you said anything? This podcast, Edo? Are you here? I actually haven't heard your voice. I'm, just on, a, I'm, on, a, I'm on a two minute delay, mate. I'm just listening in. I'm going to listen to it later. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a throwdown for you though. While while I'll chime in, um, okay. mate. In a, in the most recent JLT fixture, you were out to Will Sutherland, who is of course the seventeen-year-old son of uh, Cricket Australia CEO James. I'm just wondering what hurt more: getting out to a child or getting out to a child <laughs> whose dad used to be your boss. <laughs> Technically, he's still my boss. You know, there's one. Way, it's like when you take your boss's kids to the nets and you, you know, let them um, knock your middle stump out of the ground, hoping he might get a pay rise next year. <laughs> That's yeah, very yeah. good. That's very good. In that pace, oh, do you think he kind of allowed himself a wry smile when he streamed the game live on cricket.com and saw your dismissal? Well, he wouldn't have because the camera would have been behind, I reckon. So he would have been like, I wonder if that's my, is that my son bowling? Is that, that my son? I wonder who's batting. At least he was watching his son. He would have been screaming, but I don't know. He would have got much out of it. Um, Ed, you were quite vociferous in the players' pay dispute, um, arguing the players deserved a fair share. Um, yeah. What colour is that you, Range Rover? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, no worries, Michael Slater. It's a big red Ferrari, man. <laughs> with my, with my uh, service station sunnies on, just cruising the street. Um, Ed, uh, just another true or false one from an anonymous source. Uh, you've, um, inverted commas, never received any Sydney University Cricket Club kit, and you often warm up in a uni shirt with New South Wales or Cricket Australia shorts. Uh, occasionally, there is some truth. It depends. Yeah, my kit management around certain things has been poor. And if no one has brought shorts for me, i.e., Nick, my mate Nick Larkin, who captains the team, then sometimes, yeah, sometimes it's casual shorts. Might be a little Lululemon number. Might be you know the cargos. <laughs> sometimes it might be you know, there's, there's a whole range of whole what range a brand drop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Good. Lululemon. That that is. Ed, that's a sight. That's a thought. Yeah. yeah. Ed, have you ever been fielding and want to watch a guy score a hundred? Yeah, the whole time. <laughs> 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 Who specifically? Ian Bell. Not Ian Bell. No. Although that he's very aesthetically pleasing uh, while batting, yeah. it's usually one of. Like if you're playing against one of your mates, you hope that they get absolutely dicked on, but they get a hundred. You know, when we played Tassie, I always hope George gets a hundred. That's nice. But I hope they lose inside two and a half days. Yeah. Ted, Ian and I had the um, we had the, I guess the privilege of of joining you for a beer recently ish at the Lord Nelson. I was really surprised to see you guys, and you were there with all your Sydney Uni teammates, just you know having dinner, engaging earnestly with each other, probably about a range of different topics, not just cricket. And, and it seemed very clear to me that you all enjoy spending time with each other in a social setting. And I'm just wondering what that's like to be friends with your teammates. <laughs> uh, refreshing. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. Normal. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Healthy. Yeah. I just wonder. Yeah. Yeah. What's what's it like <laughs> having friends? Uh, okay, Ed. I've uh, this could be the last one. I don't know if he goes. If you have one, but uh, and we sort of have covered it. But I'd like a, um, a more detailed response for you. So just a hypothetical. Say Australia are four for ninety against England on Boxing Day. England have a two-one series lead. Jimmy's hooping them. Steve Finn's bowling quite quickly. Um, and the Australian number six emerges from the dressing room at four for 90. Who should be striding out? Cartwright, Maxwell, Stoinis, Moses, Travis Head, or leading shield run scorer Ed Cowan? <laughs> Austin Wall. Uh, and so just to clarify as well here, Ed, I'm not asking what you think will be the case, but who should be striding out? Clickbait, 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 clickbait. As a general, I quite like the idea of actually playing a batsman at number six, believe it or not. Let your batsman get the run. <laughs> you know, this infatuation with all-rounders that bowl two overs a game, I think can be done with. Why don't we pick the, the, the best next batsman to bat at six, whoever that is. Who is it? Whether it's young Curtis Patterson or Joe Burns or, you know, there's a whole range of people that you could pick to bat at six. But And it, and it may well be Hilton Carwright, who's a fine batsman in his own right. Uh, but to kind of label the whole thing an all-round experiment, um, I think. I don't know. Maybe this is why I'm not a selector. But that's what I would be doing. Mm. That's a pretty good answer. <laughs> so okay. not, not would, would, I mean, not, not yourself? <laughs> what, if you hit, what if you hit the ground running? <laughs> still digging. Yeah. yeah, still digging. Yeah. Need a left-hander in the top water. It's not happening, boys. So I, I would love, I would love it to happen, but I, it's not. That's so you need to relinquish those dreams of getting free tickets for Boxing Day test. Saw right through us. See right through us. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, uh, Ed, it's you know as always, it's a pleasure uh, to have you on, and you know for your earnest and uh, hard hitting comments. Um, thanks for joining the Great Cricketer Podcast and like basically still being friends with us and knowing us. I oh, love you guys. Good luck with the clickbait. Let's hope you know and they go crazy on those cost per clicks. <laughs> CCP. <laughs> Cheers. Are you upset that no one comes to watch you play cricket? Are you tired of no one appreciating you for the talented third grader you are? The Cricket Family is the first program dedicated to helping people like you feel relevant again. We have a database of over 1,000 out-of-work actors who can come to your games and masquerade as your friend, girlfriend, wife, parents or grandparents, helping you create the perception that the people close to you actually care about what you do. Great shot, Jason. No, I'm proud of you, son. The Cricket Family, helping cricketers feel relevant once again. Fantastic to have good friend of the show, Ed Cowan, on, and, of course, Adam Collins as well, speaking insightfully about uh, the state of uh, the Ashes coming up. I mean, everything is heading towards the Ashes. But before then, Pez, before then, probably the biggest date in all cricketers' diaries is October 25. And why is that? Because... The great cricketer, T and No Sympathy, of course, hits bookshelves. I mean, you can pre-order it now. Uh, this feels like a really bad like tyre tire commercial that I'm just feeling. Yeah, but but, I'll, um, I'll keep, uh, continue on in that vein, I think. <laughs> Everything must go. Yeah. Um, so I think um, 
I think, uh, you know, this is obviously, it's our podcast. We can do whatever the fuck we want. Um, so, look, it, it's, uh, it's, it's something we've been working very, very hard on the entire year. Um, a lot of people asked for a second book. We were very privileged and, uh, and, uh, and honoured and, uh, and, and cashed up to, <laughs> to, uh, to write a second book. And that was, uh, that was a real privilege. So we've been spending, we've been working really, really hard on, uh, on that for the entire year. And, uh, and Pez, I, I speak for... Uh, all three of us, I hope anyway, that we're extremely excited for, for the release to come out. So we thought we might just spend a couple of minutes um, talking about the process of the book and what the book's actually about. So maybe, Pez, you might be the best person qualified to actually talk about the title Tea and No Sympathy. What does that even yeah, mean? Yeah, what's that weird? What's that weird shit? Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and let's just say from the, from the outset, you can probably already um, feel, listeners, that this is a completely awkward and strange thing to do to uh, shamelessly promote your book. Um, and so yeah. l- l- I hope that it doesn't really come across as a promotion. We just wanted to talk a little bit about how it uh, came together. Ten, no sympathy. Well, what actually happened was that we were, and you, you know this, he goes, because you were there, but we have these Skype meetings weekly. <laughs> and we were, <laughs> uh, we had these Skype meetings weekly. And, and as much as bringing the book together was actually a really smooth, like excellent, funny, um, enjoyable process, the process of um, – finding a title wasn't as much the case that so we we each came with about 50 ideas and kept cycling mm. through one t- one day we might post those um those ideas because some of them are um are outrageous yeah. but um as we sort yeah. of got towards the end and we needed to find a title i think i don't know what it was he goes i think you might have said oh, i think maybe i might have said tea and sympathy because i was thinking about afternoon tea and i was thinking about bernard fanning and uh, and then I think you might have said tea and no sympathy, or it might have gone the other way around. I don't know. And um, and it was funny. I thought, oh, that's actually a famous movie. It's a famous fifties American movie. And I looked it up on uh, Wikipedia, and I saw that the themes of the book. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, what happened was we um, we yeah, Wikipedia our book. We wikied it. No, uh, uh, we watched the movie, and we found that it was a it's a movie about a guy who's trying to be different in a college dorm and uh in a frat house essentially and he's ostracized by a big group of men for being different and not only is he ostracized by his mates but he's um and, and sort of pressured to become like them but also he's ostracized by his dad who used to be um part of that and we thought gee there's a lot of parallels here uh with what we're doing and um he uh, he found he found sympathy from a uh, from a woman a group of women and he found a way to be himself and so um we do feel like there's something there's some similarities there but i, I probably sound like a rare unit uh, which was my choice for the title, but um, I probably sound like a rare unit talking about that. <laughs> really, it, it does continue in the same vein as the first book. You know, we'd like to think that you could uh, close your eyes, open the book randomly to any page, and put your finger on something, you know, on a word or or, or a, um, a paragraph, and something wild will be happening. Um, we think it'd be something that you'd enjoy reading over Christmas, or you know, and and we think that the uh, cover is sufficiently. Uh, friendly that uh, you know, unsuspecting aunties will also buy it and give it to uh, their nephews who will never <laughs> want to play cricket again. So, uh, if we can hit, if we can do that, then we'll be successful. We're ticking a lot of boxes. Yeah, it's funny that uh, I mean, someone actually tweeted to us, or maybe they tagged their friend in it or something, and they were like, 
I get the feeling this is going to be the most relatable thing I've ever read. And, uh, and I think it was Dave who pointed out, like, the way this book starts, <laughs> if that's true, um, there's, there's going to be police knocking on your door. That's all I'll say. <laughs> so I don't want to give away any spoilers. Um, but uh, yeah. it's, uh, it's, certainly, it's certainly a wild ride, this one. I feel like um, just from a, um, a literary perspective that the first one was almost much more instructional. And we obviously went through the grey cricketer's um, life, like his lifetime. I went back into his past and, and um, in, into his childhood and his relationship with his dad. And all that was pretext to um, current day, which is where this book is sort of more set. Um, it does go a little bit into the past. As you, um, I think, I think the, uh, the, the fans out there would be happy to know that um, there's a lot of Nugsy in this book. Um, mm. And he's without a doubt from my own perspective, my most fun person to write about because he's everything wrong with society. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of, there's so, a lot of nugsies out there. Yeah. There's a lot of nugsies out there. Um, there's a lot of dad in this and there's obviously a lot of TJC and all of his angst. But, um, I think the most important thing is that like, of course, this is a, a cricket book in that the main character has this relationship with the game and and it's something that everyone who's going to read this book is going to have um, some some familiarities with uh, and maybe there'll, there'll be some affirmation in there as well. But um, I like to think that this book, even more so than the first, is is a lot more about everything in that it's not it's not really about cricket it's, it's not about yeah. cri- it's, not, it's not about cricket jokes like the, there are cricket jokes in there of course there are cricket jokes in there but there's it's much more of a um a commentary on like social interaction and uh you know relationships with each other and and i don't think this book is just a, a book of cricket gags um mm. it's i mean i think i think we wrote it with the intention of it being about everything not just being about cricket right Mm. Yeah, well, let's just, you know, this is why we're talking about it, just to um, help it not be a failed sequel. And so... And, and, uh, <laughs> uh, thank you for for enduring us talking about that. Like we said, it comes out in bookstores on Wednesday. You can already pre-order it now. And if you are in the UK and you want the book, there is an answer to this. Um, while it won't be in bookstores for this UK winter, it will be um, for the next summer. However, if you want it now go to Booktopia and you can order it without any extra shipping, exactly the same price as everybody else. And uh, you too can read Tea and No Sympathy um, when it gets dark at 3pm uh, in the afternoon here <laughs> into the winter. You can also, I think you can also get it from a website called readings.com.au and also okay. our publisher, Alan and Unwin, their website um, is also going to ship it to the UK as well. So um, there's obviously a lot of people in the UK who want this book. I think there's even some people in India who want it as well. Um, Pakistan, I think I saw one guy. So, uh, you know, it's the internet. You can get it. Um, and if you listen to this, fair play to you. Um, to that end, to, to try and make this a successful, um, to make this a successful sequel, we're going to give away some free books, and uh, we, right. we 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 um, an odd business we, model, we, we, you might say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you will have to um, pay for postage, which is eighty five dollars. Um, but uh, no, of course, that's a joke. So, so uh, ask TJC is our upcoming segment. It's one of our favourite segments to do because we get to answer your silly questions and and we get to alpha you but um we've decided that the best model is like the the question that we enjoy the most um they will be receiving a free copy of tea and no sympathy and uh so i don't know i don't know if that's if that's going to encourage more questions yeah. to come in maybe no one maybe no one's going to write in anymore because they, they fear they might get a free book through the post yeah um, or but, we uh, keep talking about the book for about 40 minutes every show which we won't <laughs> by the way that is the longest we'll ever talk about it um, 
You won't. Why don't we? Why don't we? Why don't we kick it off here, guys? Can I give you the first one? Kick it off, that I got? Okay, so this Ask is from B B H E A Z E six four two five. Uh, high grade cricketer. Always funny to be called grade cricketer. Uh, high grade cricketer. <laughs> I'm having some work related issues. I work at one of the largest banks in Australia and speak to customers on the phone. When I speak to customers on the phone and provide them exceptional service, I call them champ to alpha them. Is this okay? He goes. <laughs> <laughs> you do get champed a lot in telecommunications, don't you? I mean, like the, I mean, the big ones are baristas. They're, they're the number one perpetrators of the champ. Uh, then I would say bus drivers. Uh, and then it's probably going to be people that you speak to on the phone getting, getting called champ. Is this okay? Can I throw one in there? I, it's, I think PE teachers. It's faceless. <laughs> PE teachers. <laughs> I think they have a union uh, of, of champs. So... Uh, Tube it is interesting, though, because yeah. I, I, I used to work in the telecommunications sector, he goes, and um, the complaints yes, around, uh, and, and I know these guys from a bank, but, um, you know, when you're mm. talking about big businesses and customer service over the phone, the complaints usually aren't about um, being champed. Um, however, you know, to be <laughs> earnest about it, I, I, I would much prefer to speak with someone who knows their job really well, even if their English isn't that good, um, rather than be champed um, by someone on the phone. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think it's, yeah. a, is this okay? No, not at all. Um, genu- genuinely have a look at yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Let's move, next l- question. Let's move to the next one. Uh, this is from, he goes, this is from Tom Morris, who some might know from Fox Sports, a uh, friend of oh, the show yeah. also. Um, Tom writes, and this is relevant, he goes, does grade, does grade mm. cricket need more context to bring back the fans? And, and I'll provide some sub-context to that. He goes, this is in relation okay. to uh, the announcement of the new Test Championship. Uh, again, that word. <laughs> uh, the new ICC Test Championship that um, is going to run over two years and, and um, result in points and a finalist uh, in a bid to bring more context to Test cricket. You know, do you, so Tom's asking, does okay. great cricket need more context to bring back the fans? I think that we've been providing a lot of context and I think, once again, great cricket is losing fans <laughs> I, oh, I, like I have it. a. I mean, it presumes the question presumes that there were fans <laughs> to begin with. <laughs> were they ever there? No, nah, mate. I, no, I, nah, I've. You would have. You would have played in some games where, uh, particularly against lower socioeconomic teams, where they like the families come out and it's like extended families are there. And yeah. It's like a full day out, and there's like there's legit like twenty five family members of about six players at the game. Mm. So that's like that's some of the biggest crowds I've ever played in front of. Um, so I don't know what the point of me saying that was. Um, well, you're essentially equating us as a social media fictional entity to the ICC test championship in that we both provide context. (laughs) Uh, so Tom, I I hope that answers the questions for you. Yeah. Does it need more context? Well, that's an insult. We think we're the context. So, um, I don't know what you meant by that. Um, but, but this is, this is actually interesting. He goes, I was like, actually interesting as opposed to everything else we've been talking about. But, um, this, this is from Andre Leslie, a question from Andre, uh, has come into the show and he said, why hasn't grade cricketer changed its name to premier cricketer in the off season? Didn't you get the memo? I think if we did that, we'd just lose followers. I think that's that's literally the answer. So uh, yeah, well, well, this really grinds my gears. This one, 
He goes, oh, this makes me angry. And, and like we did get the memo um, a few years ago that Sydney grade cricket was mm. falling into line with the rest of um, Australian cricket yeah. by rebranding itself from grade cricket to yeah. premier cricket. Um, and we were so incensed by it. I remember this, he goes, we, we went out to lunch <laughs> to discuss this. Though so He came down to Melbourne when I was living there and Dave was living there and we yeah. went out to lunch and had some drinks and we seriously considered um, making a formal submission <laughs> to Cricket New South Wales opposing this name yeah. change, not least because it would make us irrelevant immediately. <laughs> we uh, actually discussed making a change.org page, didn't we? That rings a bell yeah, now that I think about right. it. That's right. And maybe we still can. If you would get behind that change.org page, you should. And I'll tell you why you should get behind that. Uh, Premier <laughs> Cricket is is like a, a farcical rebrand. It is like trying to market grade cricketers is like anathema to what grade cricket is. You kind of, you know, trying to make grade cricket cool <laughs> is really um, like completely like opposed to the point of what grade cricket is. You sort of, mm-hmm. like the whole point of wanting to get out of grade cricket, it's like, it's like the slums, you know, like you want to get into professional cricket so you can feel cool. You need something that isn't cool to uh to juxtapose mm. that if i mean i probably could explain that better but i just don't think i, I oppose grade cricket trying to look cool and look premier um mainly because of followers well i think the point is that you can you can change the name as much as you like it's the same shocking blokes turning up every saturday <laughs> it is it's, it's like changing clubs isn't it like people always wanted to change clubs for a better opportunity and you just yeah. always thought you always yeah. said to them like yeah but you're still playing against the same teams every week you're still coming out in the same situations <laughs> The, 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 every grade club is the same bloke, has the same blokes and the same dynamics. Yep. You know, like, yeah. Environment means nothing. <laughs> uh, so anyway, same <laughs> attitudes. It's homogenous. Oh, good. We're getting angry now. He goes, "This is good." Um, yeah. Uh, okay. I'll, speaking of dealing with anger, because I feel like there's a bit within this question, even if it's not apparent. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Edwards writes in and says, "Grade cricketer, after five years away from the game, I joined a and this is in inverted commas. I joined a friendly league." With work. What on earth does that mean? Yuck. <laughs> that's great. That just encapsulates everything. That just, that's, that's Australian cricket. Yeah. He's, he's definitely Australian from cricket. Australia. Yeah. I, I wonder if he's working he, in London. So he, played for, <laughs> so he played five years of, what did he say? Five years of He's been cricket, five years away from the game. And he's now discovered the game. this concept of friendly leagues, and he—I think he's sort of—he's been asked to do it, and he just kind of disputes the premise. It's—it's <laughs> it's like it's like an oxymoron, I, friendly cricket. I, I, yeah, I love it. I know, I know uh, the type of like when you play like in a work league, you know that you have those like little lunchtime competitions here in Sydney, like down at the Domain. There might be like a touch footy or like a, a little five-a-side soccer comp or something like that. And it's like there's always one bloke who takes those competitions so seriously, and he's like he like he's like arcing up at like his colleagues who are essentially more senior than him. But on that field, he's the alpha dog. But even though he's just the male boy at back in the office for KPMG. Um, and there's just people who like take it so seriously, like they like they tackle girls or like you know it's just it. And I can imagine the same being said for a friendly league of cricket, where it's just it's Australian men getting out there just trying to trying to enjoy the game, but they can't because you can't enjoy cricket in Australia. You're not allowed to. Got to be good. Be good or that's fuck it. off. That, that's right. That might be the title of this show, actually. Uh, now, that, now that you've said that twice. Um, he goes, can I, I think that will do for the questions. Can I just read a few comments that came in? Actually, no, there was one other question. It was, um, 
Hi, sir, can I buy your page for 4,000 US dollars? <laughs> Um, we we get that we're, on, on our spoken, Facebook inbox. We've spoken about yeah, yeah. yeah we've spoken well, about this in the past. But yeah, people actually do write into us and ask to buy the page. Yeah, um, but you have to befriend them first, uh, apparently. Then I think yeah, they'll steal the page. First. So if if, if the great cricketer starts sort yeah. of uh, pushing out uh, Russian-sounding articles from um, various news outlets, <laughs> etc., that are sort of poorly spelt and not to do with great cricket, it just means we've taken the yeah. money. And by taking the money, I mean yeah. being scammed, and uh, and the great cricket is over. So just we're just saying that now. There, a couple of um, not, so a couple of people did use the hashtag #RCGC. We took the money. Well, that, yeah, that, yeah, that's exactly right. As, as long as we get money from the second book, money. Um, <laughs> we, we make like thirty cents a book. We just be clear about that. We are not cashed up. <clears throat> is he that he's been in the rules of podcasting? He goes, can you talk about this? Um, please stay with us. There were a couple of comments that came in. Uh, he goes uh, with with the hashtag yeah. Ask TGC, so it kind of de- again you know defeats the the invitation. But um, right. I just wanted to right. read them out. Some of them are so strange. But um, um, Brandon Thompson has just written the feeling when you score your first ton in a losing team and your old man wasn't there to see it. Dot dot dot. Tragic. Take it or leave it. Um, I don't know. I, uh, should I leave it? Like, yeah, no, no, just just a just a comment. I just want to. I'm just trying to give a sense of the uh, like the, the landscape of um, commentary into the grade cricketer. There There's was a lot, um, Dan- a lot of pathos Daniel, out there. Daniel McNabb. Um, well, yeah, I mean that's the thing with grade cricketers, isn't it? You just you don't know whether to laugh or cry with so much of it. He could genuinely be upset or he could sort of be seeing the lighter side of it. Um, the written yeah. word is difficult like that. Daniel McNabb attached a my cricket, a screenshot of my cricket with um, a scorecard and he's just written to us, um, was playing a game on the weekend and one of the opposition batsmen who opened the batting made four not out of 65 overs. Was the most fucked thing I've ever seen and then um, told us about it. That is ridiculous. Yeah. Four not oh. out of 65 overs, not even balls, 65 yeah. overs. Yeah. That's can, can, I, can I tell a story about this here, guys? So I was talking to a few yeah, um, UK colleagues over here recently, and mm. um, they told a story about one of their friends played grade cricket in Queensland. It was a UK guy who played grade cricket in Queensland, and he played third grade. Mm. And uh, he turned up to this game a few years ago, and opening the batting um, for this opposition third grade side was a fourteen year old, and it was sort mm-hmm. of uh, it was sort of known that this kid was coming through, and um, mm-hmm. and th- you know you don't see many four you see kids you know in grade cricket but you don't see fourteen year olds, and uh, anyway he no. batted the entire day um, for something like sixty five not out and absolutely copped it from everybody. Uh, in the opposition side and just said, you know, that's not how you play cricket. And he clearly just didn't have arms <laughs> or any power yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, to Couldn't score runs. And, yep. but, but the UK guy was um, extremely impressed and apparently as he was walking off went up to this kid and said, you know, that was class. Uh, turns out that kid was Matt Renshaw. <laughs> so, um, you know, kids, <laughs> if you're out there and old men um, who have got nothing better to do with their lives are getting angry because they can't get you out, um, it's not because of you. <laughs> it's because of them and, the, and their lives. And you never know, you might open the batting for Australia one day as well. I like defence. I like four not out of 65 overs. Uh, there's, there's, yeah, that's, there's nothing that annoys that's me. That's a more. fucking brilliant story. 
I don't mm. care if it's a lie or not. That's a brilliant story. Pez, that, that reminds me, do you want to speak just really quickly about, well, when I say speak, do you want to just listen to me speak about this blog yes. who got 307 out of his team's 340? Yeah, uh, I want to listen to you speak was about going around the, going around the traps the other day like so there was so uh, maybe for our uk listeners who who haven't seen that it was it was posted around the internet um but uh the yeah so one team scored 340 in a in a 35 over game or a 40 over game or something and one man hit 307 of those runs and he was described as um local grade cricketer scores three and it's like no that's that's not fucking grade cricket like no one playing with any level of any competency is that game a great cricket match like can you imagine like a proper game of cricket where one guy gets 307 and the next top score is about six it just it doesn't happen it made me feel angry it's like one of these things where like it gets confused as like great cricket but it's actually fucking yuck park shit you know (laughs) well it's park cricketer isn't it here goes maybe we won't go into that but um uh, it's. I, I wonder how. I mean, again, just to bring everything back to us. Uh, you know, this is what fame does to you guys. But yeah, just to bring everything back to us. I, I wonder whether we've clouded <laughs> it as well because um, we try. You know, in, on the one hand, we try and sort of broaden the grade cricket to be this commentary on club sport generally. And I yeah. wonder if you know people yeah. in the UK and overseas now just equate any level of non-professional cricket as grade cricket. It's not, yeah. you know, we're very proud of playing grade cricket. We wouldn't be trying to sort of work on our therapy 10 years after our careers um, if we weren't or, yeah. or, or considering yeah. change.org petitions or submissions to Cricket New South Wales <laughs> to, keep, to keep the name. But, yeah, that is part cricket and it's distinct from grade cricket and uh, it's very important if you're listening to this for the first time that you make that distinction for my own sense of security. And self-esteem. Great cricket is Shane Watson um, played is playing great cricket at the moment. So that's that. If he scored three hundred, um, his team would score about seven hundred and fifty. They wouldn't be all out for three hundred and ten. I think he did make one hundred and eighty-five the other day. But yeah. Yeah, my like the, the, my favorite way of um, trying to explain to people that grade cricket was actually good was to actually highlight the times when professional players didn't do well. So you know, every time I see like Shane Watson, sort mm. of three years after his, uh, you know, um, you know, long form career, making heaps of runs, yeah. it makes me think, oh, maybe the pro players are much better. <laughs> mm. Craig Cricket's not nearly as strong as what it was, though, man. Like, and that's and that's definitely true because people just aren't playing. I mean, this goes into a deeper thing of like people aren't playing cricket past the age of like twenty three in Australia anymore. Like when when you were coming through and playing first grade and stuff, like the average age of first grade would have been much closer to thirty, whereas now it's much closer to about twenty three. So there's just that lack of experience, which is which is going around. And then of course, like with like international schedules and state schedules now and the big bash, like the state players rarely actually play grade cricket anymore. So whilst it is still a very strong competition and they do occasionally come back, especially at the very beginning of the season, they do actually play for their grade clubs. It's not nearly as strong as what it was perhaps when you know perhaps sort of even, even 10 years ago but um that's probably a different conversation that's not funny <laughs> yeah that's right yeah we, we we start to panic when we get earnest don't we that's what that, that is where we <laughs> yeah, miss dave yeah, i think yeah. actually to be honest yeah, um yeah, he, yeah. he may be back on the show next week folks uh it'll just be one of those things where um we'll see who's available and uh and run it that way but um i think that's probably all we've got time for he goes thanks for joining us on, on our first hit out hopefully uh we haven't turned you off too much uh it's good to get back into it and uh, thanks for persisting with us in the um 
context of uh, a slightly different technical setup with this. Hopefully the sound is still pretty decent and you enjoyed listening to uh, Cowan and, and Collo. Pez, who do we give the book to? Uh, good question. Look, I liked I liked the um, the undertones of Paul Edwards' question <laughs> about joining a friendly league and saying what earth do, what on earth does that mean? Uh, that that's a very pithy um, way of uh, saying a lot about the way cricket is played uh, in Australia. Any oxymoron I'm on board with. Paul, you're getting mm. a free book. Well done, Paul. I, yeah, and now what do we do with that? But uh, let's let's deal with that off air. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see you next week. It should be coming out on a Thursday morning. Um, you know, pending technical proficiency. <laughs> we'll catch you then. See you next week.